welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. So on today's Empathic Mastery Show, I am really delighted to bring a just, I can already tell just from the short conversation that Victoria and I have been having that she has just the sweetest, soulful, like light-filled energy. And I can't wait to have this conversation with Victoria. So through thousands of client sessions and seminars, Victoria has witnessed that the cap to one's fulfillment is defined by their subconscious programming. And I could not agree more. As a result, she created products and services with a unique success formula of healing one's heart, freeing one's mind, and expanding one's skills to see, create, and live a life of limitless possibility. Doesn't that that sound just awesome? Internationally best-selling author of Until You Win, Until You Shine, Manifest Me Journal, Ignite Your Wisdom Creator, creator of Empower Me and Master Me apps, founder of the Quantum Freedom Movement, and creator of the Free Me EFT, Victoria is excited to share her newest book, Prosper Me, the 30 five universal laws to make money work for you. No wonder we have so much heart, so much trouble as people making money work for us. There's 35 laws. And her mission is to both awaken and empower you to your life of limitless possibilities and prosperity. Victoria, welcome. And thank you so much for being here. And Jen, thank you for having me. Thank you for creating this gorgeous space, sacred space, I have chills all over, and it's been just uh, wonderful to to be in this space. So thank you. I hope I can really add value. Oh, I am so excited to have this conversation. Well, and I just feel like when two empaths come together to talk about love and life and magic and all the other and healing and all the other good stuff, it's like good things happen. So I actually wanted to talk about being an empath and what your experience is. And I know from reading a bit about you, you come from Ukraine. And so, I mean, and obviously right now, that is a really powerful and intense place to be from. I'd love to hear like, what was your experience? Like, when did you realize you were an empath? What was your experience like? Yeah, um, you know, beautiful question of self-awareness, really. I think I first realized, of course, emotionally before I had the language or the tile to describe the experience. And I was very young. I was very young. I was two and a half when death kind of became a frequent visitor that it has remained through my life. Mm -hmm. My uncle died. And when he died, I didn't have, you know, mental ability to comprehend what was happening. But I could feel what my mom was experiencing. I could feel the void. And of course, all these years later, you know, four dozens of years later, I can understand that that understanding of the void without having words for it was probably my first empathetic aware experience. Mm -hmm. um, and what I've 
come to really believe is that we're all born as empaths, all of us born with empaths. And the question becomes whether it is encouraged or mm -hmm. whether it is discouraged to the point that we shut that down completely mm -hmm. as a way mm -hmm. of survival because we cannot handle the energy. Yeah. So in terms of understanding, I think the language of what that was came through probably certification of theta healing. I think by quite recently, probably within the last 10 years, when I've already been practicing a lot of energy modalities, I understood what that was. Wow. So you had been living with your empathic sensitivity from the time you were two and a half. And I think it's interesting how so frequently the experience of death or being around death does really kind of like rattle our cages and shake certain stuff loose for us. And certainly my first prophetic dream, I had it at the age of nine when my, my very first best friend's mother died of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So I really, I totally hear there's something about the rawness of death that really just like we cannot hide from it. But you talked about also like just sort of how we're all born as empaths, but some people do choose to suppress it. Some people do sort of have the ability to kind of tamp it down. Was that something that you tried to do or were you one of us who just like, no matter how much you tried, you couldn't push it down? You know, I had an interesting experience and um, I haven't talked about it much and it just happened so that on the same day, I have two gorgeous opportunities to speak. And that seems to be the message because, you know, mm -hmm. it, it came again. Uh, probably at age 11, I've gotten into a lot of um, interesting research into, you know, astrology and fortune telling and all of that. But truly what I was doing in a nutshell is tuning to a person's energy field, understanding it, and then being able to foresee, foretell, or share the truth as it was given to me. And so by the time I was 14 um, and then 16, I was going to school in Kiev. And every Saturday, the girls from college would come and I would kind of do coffee cup reading and uh, through cards. And we just, it was a fun thing to do as girls, you know, we just yeah. didn't put much emphasis on it other than it was just a fun hobby. And then one day, what happened was that in that reading, I could see that there was, speaking of death, the energy of death in one of the girl's masculine figures in her family. Mm -hmm. And within 48 hours, her father, who was in his early 40s, died of a heart attack, very unexpected. Mm. And it freaked me out mm -hmm. big time. I mm -hmm. shut any and all tendencies. I actually have not touched a deck of cards since then to do a reading on the cards. Now, I love Oracle decks and I've created some Oracle decks, but it's one of those things where, you know, I had to heal from the shock and, and actually threw myself into the other aspect and studied all kinds of religions to find the higher meaning. And I'm grateful for both experiences because throughout the years, I found a gorgeous balance that works for me mm -hmm. to know where spirituality is, where traditions are, where religion is, where the beauty of every aspect of that is. And so it was probably in my late 20s, early 30s that I finally was healed enough, mature enough, and knew who I was enough that I started exploring every possible energy modalities and got PhD in metaphysical sciences because I truly knew that it wasn't going to shake me. Mm. It was going to help me be who I am born to be. Um, and so I think it doesn't matter for any of us 
which medium we use to convey the message of the truth. We, you know, whether it is gorgeous crystals or whether it is some people work with herbs or it doesn't really matter. We convey it through a different medium, but we're all conveying the same intuitive ability that, you know, that we have. Um, so that's, that's kind of how that journey unfolded for me. Mm, mm. Well, and I love how you are speaking to that it comes through in a whole bunch of different ways. And that, I mean, it really does seem to be like kind of our individual flavor, our particular sensory abilities. Some of us are more clairaudience, some of us are more clairvoyant. And just that, you know, there's a bunch of different pieces. So when you were saying you haven't touched a deck since, are you talking um, a deck of like literally tarot cards or playing cards or? I grew up in Soviet Union. There were no tarot. So it was just regular cards. Regular cards. Yeah. That, and so I have not done reading with cards. And uh -huh. And quite frankly, what I've come to understand is that the, the readings reflect the state of mind. So I like a shortcut and I've scanned the state of mind. <laughs> if I, you know, when I work with myself or with my group of, of uh, clients, I, I choose to bypass the medium, not to say that it doesn't serve a purpose. It just no longer serves a purpose for me. But I love to collect the decks. I have yeah. 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't even, I've lost, there was a period of time where I had so many tarot decks because I also have created a tarot deck called the Healing Tarot. And so there was a period where I had hundreds of tarot decks. I actually yeah. went through a purge at one point where I was just like, you know what? This is taking up a lot of mental and emotional space. You don't need this. But I had a very similar experience where when I first started working with cards, they were they felt like training wheels. Like they felt like, like they gave me a tool to get in, but then there got to be this point where it was like, I had the shorthand, I had all the information I needed and I didn't necessarily need the cards anymore. But it's funny within the last couple of years, I've actually been turning back towards the cards because what I love about them is that I'm experiencing them as almost like mirrors or windows where it's just really easy to lay them out and get sort of patterns and configurations so I, I kind of go back and forth with them and really enjoy them. You were speaking about that experience of seeing death and deciding to shut it down. And I have to say, that is something I have heard from so many intuitive people, that there was that moment of seeing death and it just freaking us, you know, freaking you out. I personally, I don't know what it is about me and why, because my first, like I said, my first prophetic dream was when I was nine and I dreamed about, I dreamed that it was related to my friend's mother dying. For some reason, I ran into it instead of in the opposite direction. But I, I have just heard like, it is just so unnerving. And I wonder in my case, if the fact that it was already had already come to pass. And so I was just seeing what was going on, as opposed to that idea, that ability to predict, like you saw something that was coming, not something that had happened. But I've seen this think, for so many people. Yeah. I think the reason I chose, I said, in panic to withdraw from, from misunderstanding the talent, I chose to withdraw from it, was not the fact of the occurrence itself. It was... My confusion as a 16-year-old as to what my responsibility with knowledge like that was. Was I capable of preventing the death? Have I failed it? What was the purpose for the knowing 
that I have received, right? It's that complete panic of, I had it. What was I supposed to do with it? Could I have prevented it? Could you and have I prevented think it? The healing, you know, and so the healing, I think, for me have, has come when I know, as I know, as I know, that the two moments that are sacred and immovable is the moment of the first and last breath. Mm. Everything in between, the free agency defines the quality and the flow of this life. But this soul comes into its physical, you know, um, I guess, temple, and it leaves it at that moment of life continuing. And so redefining death as the door of life and understanding that that door opens and closes at a precise and very sacred moment. And part of that healing uh, was, you know, back to back, um, Jen. And once again, I have chills over my body because I do believe it's the space of this podcast you've created. It became very clear because during the time when my best friend in 2013 was dying of throat cancer and I she called me and asked for a healing and I said I will witness a healing but it is a healing of peace that is quieter than the feeling of peace here and I saw her being surrounded by the angels and crossover and the sacred moment of men my little nephew was born because of the conditions that he had I was there to help and and to heal as needed but to see the same circle of angels surrounding when his little spirit was coming, it was the first time I connected the dots so palpably to see that, wait a minute, here is the opening, here is the closing. Oh, which one is which? Here is the closing, here is the opening. And, you know, and so death became a gorgeous part of a sacred experience of life. Mm -hmm. And that is when that forgiveness found room of, not only there was nothing I could have done, there was nothing I should have done. Nothing you should have done. Well, and oh, so just the richness of this conversation already. I, um, I'm really, I'm just really, really appreciating everything that you are saying and that we're talking about and the continuity. And earlier, it's funny, I was recording another podcast and I was which is um, was the Halloween episode for this season with Amy Gray Cunningham of Butterfly Kisses, which you guys should totally connect because she has an amazing podcast as well. But her husband, Chuck, had crossed over back in June of 2021. And Chuck is, they co-host the podcast, but also will do guest spots together. And so Chuck was with us today. And he, his way of describing it is that it's just like going into another room. Like you're just walking into another room. It's not an ending. It is just a transition. And so I'm just loving the fact that there's this kind of like theme that is coming through today about looking at death as in terms of continuum and continuity, as opposed to this sort of outdated idea of it being an ending. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important because we've become so reluctant to accept death with beauty that it brings, that it causes so much cancer worldwide, because cancer is body's inability to welcome death, right? The little cell says, I'm terrified of death and dying. So instead of self-destruct and welcome death for the life of the organism to continue, it rebels, it clings on to life. And that, you know, so it's just knowing, understanding, and welcoming the process of death as nourishing of the process of life mm -hmm. is the healing for all of us, right? Is the healing for all of us. I have never 
heard anybody equate cancer as the fear of death. But as you're speaking, I'm like, no, duh. Like, of course, cancer is the, it's like, it's the compulsion to repeat and to um, multiply cells and the excess of life of course, like, and yet it is, and yet the irony and the paradox of it is that this like clutter of life in our system is often the thing that ends up taking us out. But I, I don't know if you guys who are listening are, are like, kind of like, <laughs> but I mean, this is just what an amazing, amazing observation. Like you just dropped one big truth bomb there. Yeah, I, you know, have had a beautiful privilege to work with several um, stage four clients. And the very first thing we do is we go through accepting and preparing death fully and completely so that life may continue as it is intended to be. Mm -hmm. And so whether life continues in this physical frame or in spiritual frame, and it is incredible to see how many people actually miracles happen and they heal physically while for others, miracle happens and they cross over in peace. Yes. And so the miracle is always unavoidable. It's just that as long as we don't try to control what kind of miracle that is, right. which, you know, which is the attachment to control is the human theme. Right, right. Well, and you were speaking about, you know, going back to sort of what pulled you away from your prophetic gifts was the confusion of what was your responsibility and what you're supposed to do with it. And I mean, that really comes down to the part of us that thinks we're supposed to be in control, the part of us that thinks we're supposed to be responsible. So definitely that intersection. I'm curious, as you're speaking, you know, that you, you, you're 16 and you're like, I'm never going to go here again. And yet you, it's like you stopped with the cards, but it sounds like you didn't stop with the call. Like you picked up the thread in a lot of other places. Amazing. I, I love that. You stopped with the cards, didn't start with the call. I'm going to be quoting you, Jan. Yeah. <laughs> and Jan described it as... Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, some things were simply undeniable, you know, just like when I was pregnant with my daughter and she came, but well, before I was pregnant with my daughter, she came to me and told me who she was and I saw how she looked like and then she was born that way. And and then my son, the same story, you know, just there were too many undeniable, beautiful transitions as to where I said, well, this is happening. Might as well know what this is, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I'm not... I think it's very important to also say that when I was denying it in fear, there was time for that yeah. because that was the fastest way that my higher self could redirect me to learning what I was meant to learn. And so sometimes maybe the motivation is not at the highest frequency, but the outcome usually is. If we're really seeking what it is we've come to receive, how we arrive at it is more like, you know, you can fly first class, you can fly economy, you're still going to arrive at the same destination. Still the comfort the level is going to be different. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Well, and recently I've had a couple conversations where I've been talking with people about how they came to their gifts a little bit later in their life, as opposed to it sounds like you and I both had started with them, like we were kind of born into this. 
And one of the things that I noticed is that I had to go through growing up and maturing and sort of developing my sort of self-confidence as an intuitive and as a psychic. So I had to go through a lot of self-doubt that talking with a couple of my guests over the last while, they were like in the corporate world where they kind of developed their confidence before they became mediums. And it's fascinating to me because it's kind of like they kind of were in the same place, but they didn't necessarily have to go through the same growing pains that go with a certain developmental stage in life. And um, I just think we so frequently, like we can do it this way or we can do it this way, but we're going to end up in the same place ultimately. Well, I also think, Jen, that you have such a rare healing gift of authentic vulnerability that you are so confident that you share the times of lack of confidence. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of the people intuitive world, they might not be confident enough to share the times of lack of confidence. Yes. That is probably the best way I can describe it because yes. as long as we, we're human, that's a beautiful experience. And being human, we will always have our survival self mm -hmm. questioning everything our higher self you know, strives for. It's just a gorgeous tangle. It's yeah. a tangle between I'm shining, are you sure? I'm shining, are you ah! sure? You know, it's, that's, yes! that's the conversation. Yes! Yes! And so suppressing the are you sure is not any more shining than not. It's just saying, sure I am, come with me, come with me, little scared, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think... I think as we are becoming more and more confident, we become more and more aware of the lack of that confidence because we no longer have to hide it. Oh, I love that. What a wonderful reframe because, you know, with some people, I think when they first start touching into the concepts of law of attraction in particular, they will sort of look at if they feed into or they even acknowledge or give lip service to, are you sure that somehow they're <laughs> going to reinforce it? And now knowing that you are also an EFT practitioner, I imagine that you have a slightly different way of looking at this because, you know, I mean, for many of us who practice EFT, part of it is about acknowledging what is in order to shift it and transform it. But I just, I love this reframe of when we can sit with the, the sort of the ambivalence or the confusion or the doubt that that is actually a sign of strength, not weakness. I love that. Yeah, yeah because you get to see all of you, love all of you, and then grow all of you. I think, um, you know, I've had this discussion, actually I had a gorgeous opportunity while he was alive, actually in 2014, about 10 years ago, Bob Proctor uh, got to coach me. I came to one of his matrix and I said, Bob, I want you to, to coach me. He said, I don't do individual coaching. I said, yes, you do. <laughs> so, <laughs> I am your client. <laughs> it, was kind of an, it, was a, it was a gorgeous experience. It didn't last very long, but I've taken some incredible thing with him. And one of it was a lot of it, what he taught me, I absorbed. Mm -hmm. But there was one concept that I so respectfully disagreed with him that became the greatest thing he could have taught taught me right and he said exactly what you're saying is that once you tune in to the reality you're creating 
you have to be at a frequency of that reality. You know, you're 100% into it because if you're wavering, it's not coming to pass. And it didn't resonate 100%. And of course, I taught you one of many things I've done. I taught statistics. Okay, I'm love, I love statistics because formulas are sacred geometry's language, you know, of universe. So why not? And I figured out a very simple thing that dominant frequency is 51 over 49. And that is freaking enough. That is freaking <laughs> enough. Oh my God. You can God. breathe out and you can say, oh, really? Yes. Yes. Your goal is 51. 51%. 51. Or maybe, then, you know, 50.5. Yes. And then when you're at 80, when you're at 80, your life around you reflects back miracles that you like language to translate. But even at eight, you're going to have 20 when you're laying in your bed, you're staring into the ceiling and you say, why am I to get out of this bed today? Yeah. Why? Yeah. And then you can hold yourself and say, so I can remind myself that I love myself when I don't want to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be stronger. I don't have to be more spiritual. I can be a mess that I am. And, you know, so that's it. 50 mm -hmm. One is our goal. Then you can be an overachiever, get to 57. That's fine. Oh. Create a podcast and show off and we'll all listen. <laughs> oh, Victoria, this is just like bomb to my soul. I mean, what a relief. What a yeah. relief to have somebody saying all you need is 51% because I think so many people get so caught up in feeling like they're doing it wrong because they've got doubt or they've got, or there's a part of them that is just having a human experience and that it's like, they're not doing it by the rule or by the, you know, by what the, the new age gurus are suggesting. And yep. you, I am going to just like, you just gave me a, a rule of the universe that I will be like, Victoria said, and I completely agree, and I will forever agree with this. Like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know I needed to hear this. And because I, you know, that's one of the things within law of attraction that just I've always kind of been like, eh, we humans are a little nope. too messy to be able to be completely congruent most of the time. Oh, yep. Thank you. And it's it's the concept of dominant frequency, right? Yes. Dominant. Dominant, dominant frequency frequency just so important and then of course you know because most psychics and intuitives are right brain it takes a left brain me step and say let me define dominant dominant is 51 <laughs> and it's it's the relief of that truth is instantaneous and it, you know i just think that's one of the jobs of truths it relieves the need to sell because it is so simple mm. you know we sell these concepts and we strive for concepts that are just a little bit off mm. but when the truth comes in your heart opens up it remembers what it's always known and it is just a little bit more loving ah oh, it's this is just so delicious so 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 yummy you know, and a thought that came to my mind is dominant frequency too is going to depend on the number of pieces that are contributing because I have a concrete example. There was many, many years ago, we had a three-way gubernatorial race going on in the, in, in here in Maine and the winner 
won the election by 38% because the vote was split three ways. And so I'm just thinking sometimes, sometimes it doesn't even have to be 50% because sometimes you might have more than one frequency or more than one belief system running at a time where you've got like three or four and it really is the dominant frequency. Yes. 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 Dominant frequency prevails. Just remembering that and remembering to reframe it with joy when, you know, I tell people, I'm so excited to fail. And I finally put it to numbers that are so inspirational. I don't think you'll ever look at failure the same way. I love numbers. And I say, you pick an area in your life right now that you want to improve. Mm. You know, the world is suffering with money right now. We can talk about money. Yes. From one to 10, If 10 is Warren Buffett, we understand what 10 was Warren Buffett is. And one is you already have a house. So it's a one, you have a roof over your head Mm because zero would be you're on the street. Mm -hmm, But if mm -hmm. you have a roof, you are the one. Mm -hmm. If you're so rich as to have a roof and a car and a meal, you're you're at least at a two or three. Mm -hmm, We forget mm -hmm. how rich we are. So you assign a number and let's say, okay, I'm a three. So being three out of 10 feels energetically as a failure. So the first step to say is, I feel I'm failing financially. And isn't that amazing? And this is why. Because 10, the possibility of 10 minus performance of three minus your failure is seven. And that seven is your potential. Mm. So you're saying, wait a minute, I have a potential of seven to thrive. And how gorgeous is that? So now when you no longer deny your reality, but you accept it and you understand the hidden potential in it, now your dominant frequency is, oh my gosh, I have so much potential. Where do I start? I'm having this visual image as you're describing it as there being like this gap. And instead of looking at it as like a chasm that you're never going to cross, looking at it as this space of potential, of possibility that we can expand into and being like, look how much room I still have to grow into. Look at what, you know, it's almost like if we realize that we're getting pot bound or that we don't have enough space to expand into and we like we're to transplant a plant, but now they're in this much bigger pot. It's like, yeah, that soil around you, that extra space is the potential for all this exciting growth and possibility. Love it. I love it. Gorgeous, gorgeous Mm. image. Gorgeous, gorgeous image. Yep. So let's talk about money because, (laughs) you know, this is, this is the thing that just, you know, I mean, and, and this is also the place where I see the rubber hitting the road, a lot of new age And especially for a lot of empaths, like when somebody is in that zero, especially, or like, but in that zero or that one where they're just kind of, they've got, you know, they're just eking by. Like sometimes I think that the new age sort of platitudes and the messages that people are being given can really make it feel like just almost insurmountable. And it's my sense is that you have really accessible and grounded and and comforting messages about money that might make it more accessible to people, especially when they're feeling totally like 
you know, yeah, that's fine. It works for you that way, but it doesn't work for me this way. Yeah, you know, and for the purpose of your uh, gorgeous audience who are empaths, I want to first real quick to define the purpose for every empath before we touch money, before we do anything. Please. And that is, you know, to understand what empathy is and where it's going so we don't get punished, self-punished, self-sabotaging for empathy. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the first level, the inaccessibility or the ignorance of empathy, of course, is, well, narcissist, a person mm -hmm. who, yes. on the, you know, is, is a narcissist, is a person who has completely blocked off their sense of empathy for whatever reason, we're not yeah. digging there, right? Then after narcissism comes a, an aware person, somebody mm -hmm. who's just aware, but they're not participating emotionally. Then comes sympathy, and sympathy mm -hmm. is, you're crying, I'm aware you're crying. Then comes empathy, yeah. you're crying, I'm feeling what you're feeling, I am crying with you. Empathy says, I feel your pain. Yes. But the higher frequency of empathy is compassion, and yes. that is what we as an empath have come to arrive at. The high frequency is compassion. You're crying, I am feeling love. I'm going to send love to you instead of my empathetic ability taking pain from you. I am going to send love to you. So if you think of the, we're reversing the energy direction. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. yeah. And chills, right? And chills. Well, and so you and I are broadcasting, like what you are saying is slightly different language for the, a very, very, very similar message, even in terms of the categories, like the fact that we've got sort of these five stages. So I'm like, I could not agree with you more. Could not yeah. agree with you more. Yeah. And so what happens for empaths at a time of financial crisis, translation always, <laughs> the yeah. planet is always in financial crisis. The degree is different. If we have not healed out of I absorb your pain, we absorb the dominant frequency of panic about money, the fear about money, or the low frequency about money. And that brings us down because it brings us down. We say, forget it. I'm going to go meditate to, pure my, to purify my aura. And so the task becomes, wait a minute, money is energy. Love is energy. I'm not going to love money. I'm just going to love myself and purify money that I can work through it to impact humanity. Mm -hmm. And so that is, so the book, Prost for Me, The 35 Laws, they're universal laws where I take the actual universal laws. I'm a law addict. I love it. <laughs> I've read every book, you know, whether it is Torah or Bible or Tao Te Ching, it doesn't matter. Anything and everything that teaches any version of a law. <laughs> yeah. <I> love <laughs> what is your zodiac sign? Just out of curiosity. I'm an Aries. I'm You're an, an Aries. Aries. What's it? So I then what's I'm your an Aries, but your my moon? moon is Sagittarius. Okay. I have a Sag moon too. There you go. Yeah. And I think I, you know, my daughter loves astrology. So I think I am, I'm a healed Aries. <laughs> mm, yes, I'm married to a healed Aries as well. I'm so grateful for you guys for healed Aries. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, you know, I still get to be a pioneer, yeah. but I can't be a pioneer without burning everything in my path. What an idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, um, once you understand the law, you can apply it in every area of your life, hence 
its universal laws. And so I take those concepts and then I give you three steps of how to apply them to your money. Baby step, grown up uh -huh. step, and professional step. Every Ooh. chapter has just three Ooh. steps. I love and then this. It <laughs> and then it has the energy activation, I call it, which is an affirmation that has been energetically charged to shift the neural pathways in your brain so uh -huh. that you can work with that particular law. Uh -huh. So the book is a healing manual mm -hmm. for spirituality, meeting money joyfully. <laughs> mm -hmm. I really get the sense that the book is also a recalibration and that just yes. even the, having the willingness to engage with the book, like, I'm like, I think I need to check this book out. This sounds really awesome. Really awesome. Well, thank oh. you. Oh, so wonderful. So you spoke about, you know, the fact that we're living in as a society, you know, or as a whole planet, like we have a humans have sort of like the fear of financial insecurity and the financial crises. And, um, thunder is just rolling in right here. So mm. hopefully all will be well. But, you know, I was thinking not only what I realized as I was speaking was I was like, I've never really thought about this before, about how as empaths, not only do we go through our own fear of financial insecurity, mm -hmm. but we also experience other people's fear of financial insecurity. Yeah. And Right now, I've got a friend who is really up against it. They are somebody who is a spectacular manifester at times, and they, but their their story is that they go feast or famine. And right now, they are in a famine stage, and they're really freaking out, and they've got some health issues that are going on, and a lot of stuff is happening. And it didn't, I hadn't, until you said something, I wasn't really thinking about like, how is an empath I can either be picking up the frequency of panic and sort of indulging it, maybe being kind of codependent about it, or being in compassionate love for the higher vibration. And so I'm just thinking it's not just about our own relationship with yeah. money. It's about our relationship with other people and their relationship with money as well. Yeah, you know, I it really hit home for me. I was actually in Sedona um, doing one of the trainings, and Sedona is a gorgeous energy, gorgeous vortex. Yeah. And and I wake up in the morning with this phenomenal burden of guilt, like it is so heavy on mm. me. And my brain first does what the brain does; it wants to find logical explanations. So it starts filing through my life, you know, looking for something to make responsible for experience. Gratefully, obviously, because of the training, I stop and I say, wait, 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 wait a minute. Is this mine or is this someone else's? Mm -hmm. Immediately, I know it is common consciousness that is that is brought into my attention for healing. So I send love, so much love and compassion to the common consciousness of guilt. I wash it through. I send it to every soul on a planet that wants to receive it. I come out and my mom was with me and I tell my mom that. and. Um, my mom says, do you know that today is actually a Jewish holiday of Yom Kippur, which for Jewish people, of course, is the day of it's redemption the day of and the day of atonement yeah. and the day of releasing the guilt, right? And so I have like 0.2 or 2% of Jewish blood in me. I am not religiously or spiritually a practicing, you know, Jew, but, you know, as an intuitive empath 
and the power of that frequency multiplied by vortex, had I been pulled into it, I probably would have assumed responsibility for burdens mm. that I would have magnified. And so just the first question, whenever you, whenever you feel a strong emotion, just pause and say, is this me or is this somebody else? But the answer, the second answer will be the same. The answer is still going to be love. If it is me, all right, I'm going to send love to me. And you to pause. Me. And if it's somebody else, guess what? It's the same. I'm going to send love through me to them or directly to them, whatever your training or techniques that you are most comfortable with to transfer love. Mm, mm. It's amazing how this is another one of the things where one of my very first questions is basically, is this mine? Is this mine? And I often find the answer is both yes and, that yes. there is a frequency within us that is resonating to something, and then there is the other part. But, and I agree, it's like the best thing we can do is just send love, send compassion, and ah, oh, just let it, let it breathe. Oh, so you were speaking about, you know, there's these 35 laws and that there's like these baby steps and then there's the grown up steps and then there's the professional steps. So I'm imagining like, you know, we all have to start with the baby steps. Mm -hmm. What is like the very first baby step that you would suggest? Yeah. Um, you know, for the fear of, of sounding repetitive, I just want, I don't want the simple not to lose its profound sense. The first law in the book is the law of gratitude. I think we talk of gratitude so much that I felt it was very important to reframe fully what that law is. I have wonderful friends that write gratitude lists. I think it's wonderful. But I think the danger of writing a list, it's robbing you of experiencing the dominant frequency of gratitude. So instead of having 10 things to write you're grateful for, how about you pause everything and you tune in to one thing at this very moment you're so grateful for that it brings you to tears. And I'd much rather us focus on the one thing that we appreciate to the point of complete overwhelming emotion than endless lists that are to-do lists. And to do so, I think it's very important to never force yourself to be grateful for some horrible things that have happened to you. It is damaging to your trauma to say, mm. I'm grateful for being raped is the best thing that happened to me. That is not true. That no. is not true on any level. What is true is, you're grateful for having endured, for having overcome, for having learned whatever you've learned despite and through the experience. And so that is like you were talking about the new age. That is the poison that is seeping in. Yes. That is when you violate your pain and say, I'm grateful for it. I'm thrilled that you were grateful through it. And I'm thrilled for the lessons you were grateful for. So that's what, you know, so each of the laws I am reframing in a way that does not violate the law. Oh, <laughs> you know, that you just cut and all of a sudden you say, well, wait a minute, I can be grateful for my little puppy who licks my face every day. Yes, please. And when you are at that frequency, equally naturally, you will notice the next thing and the next thing. So your field of appreciation will increase 
And appreciation in economic terms means increase in value. Mm. As your field of appreciation increases, your home will appreciate, your bank account will appreciate, but it's we can't force it. So that's the beauty of that first law. Oh, you, I mean, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are speaking to like all of the the spiritual bypassing messages of like, be thankful for the most difficult thing you've ever been through. It just has always felt so sour and off to me. And I just deeply appreciate like you are speaking in a way that I just feel such seamless congruity. And I am like, I'm not having the the cognitive dissonance that I experience with so much of the new age teachings where I'm like, this just feels like bullshit to me. Like I just, the other day I was watching somebody's reel and this woman was like doing this video and she's like, Hey, if you really want to grow your business to seven figures, you really need to step outside of your comfort zone. And I was like, and, and kind of like one of the new age ideas is like that no growth happens in comfort Whereas what I'm noticing and finding again and again is that if your nervous system is dysregulated, if you are a survivor of acute trauma and you haven't dealt with that, you have to be safe before you can stretch and grow. And the idea that if you're like uncomfortable and scared, you should just suck it up buttercup and go past it has always felt so incredibly harmful to me. And I am loving how you are speaking to this. And you are literally saying, if you try to rewrite the reality of your horrible experience and pretend that it's fine, you will cause more harm, not relief. And I also just love how you're talking about the semantics of the word appreciation and just the literal concept of what we appreciate appreciates like yeah. oh yeah it's, yeah it's true you know and that's that's back to it's just what true is true we all have our incredible gifts and one morning i woke up and i said golly i know what mine is make things simple <laughs> that's it that's it you know because i can i put you in my, can i like carry you around <laughs> Because I am a Capricorn with Virgo rising. And I am like, if you, if like, I can overcomplicate everything. Like I can absolutely overcomplicate everything. I'm lucky because. And we need you, Jen, Jen. And we need you just as you are. Because if you don't overcomplicate, I have nothing to make simple. I have no purpose in life. (laughs) You know, we all need each other. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm joking. Of course. I'm joking. You know, I wanted to say something so cool because um, I did this program once on stepping out of comfort and what it really means. And if you look, if you look at the Latin word comfort, it means with strength, like fort is is something, the protection. So comfort uh-huh. is you're with strength, you're inside the fort. And then effort, effort is when you put your foot outside the fort. And so if you look at the history, <laughs> if you stuck if, during the war, if you, you were not very smart, if you stuck your head out outside <laughs> the fort, I'm sorry. I mean, yeah. So if you want to be slaughtered, you go outside of your fort. Right. But, but 
when you understand that however you describe God, you know, great overall design or universe, however you describe that, so several life, like I love God as great overall designer, because that brings us all to however you de de define God. And so, but for me, it's very simple because where my comfort zone ends, God's begins. Mm -hmm. and I choose to be one with and through God. So I'm always, if I'm not comfortable, I am comforted. That's the only difference. I might not be comfortable. Then I'm going to lean into this divine support I have and I'm going to be comforted. Mm. And that's how I expand my comfort zone. So I don't step out of it. I oh. expand it through stepping into being comforted by God. That's, that's it. Preach. Oh, oh, I, you know, I'm just like, I literally saw this me, I mean, saw this real yesterday. And I just, it just, I, I was like, no, 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 no. And I, I even recorded a reel in response to it because I was just like, no. And you, you are just delivering the truth. Like, I just feel like you are just, you're giving the medicine to this. That is like, yes, it is not that we step outside of our comfort zone. It's that we step into letting the divine comfort us. Yeah. Oh, Victoria, this conversation is so delicious. I am loving, loving, loving this conversation. And I, I love your love for numbers. And I also really love your, your love for um, etymology and language and words, because I'm so fascinated by words and how, how they impact us. Oh, I could have, I could talk with you for hours and hours. It's just been so good. And amazingly, we are starting to wind in towards the top of the hour of this conversation. It has gone by like that. Well, thank you. you. You know, as I've mentioned before, and I mean it, and you know that I mean it because you can read my heart. It's yeah. uh, the question asked creates the reality, literally and figuratively. So if there is anything that's been delivered in the way that it's been delivered, it's because the questions you've asked. Mm. Right? So I'm grateful for them. Uh, as a matter of fact, so much so that one of the products we create will be called Create Me. And all it is, is just questions to ask to create reality, because so many of us keep asking the wrong questions. Mm. And by asking, you know, asking you shall receive does not mean send your list of items to the universe to deliver by 3 p.m. It means what you ask and how you ask, the questions you create create the answers through reality around you. So thank you for asking the questions that have allowed for stuff to come through that I think uh, was needed by both of us and hopefully by your amazing listeners. I am imagining, I, I imagine that everybody who's listened to this conversation is just feeling so fed by it. I am so incredibly grateful. And um, if you are willing, I would love to bring you back for another conversation about EFT and particularly... Anytime. Because I just think, I mean, as two people who absolutely love EFT, and I can just tell from everything we're talking about, I'm like, oh, this would be such a yummy, yummy, yummy conversation. So Victoria, as we're sort of coming towards the, the end of this particular episode, what is like, if you had, if there was like one more thing that just feels like you absolutely want to impart it to the audience, what is like the one kind of truth bomb you want to drop with us? Yeah, and then I'll ask message, you how we can get in touch with you. The 
the message that inspires me daily, the message that never gets old for me, the message I share and get emotional every time I share. And that message takes us to 1400s and a sculptor whose name is Donatello. Donatello is commissioned to carve a sculpture. He's given a big slab of marble. He studies it for months and he says it is faulted and rejects it. So we've all been rejected somewhere sometime. We can relate to the marble. He rejects the marble. 50 years later, another sculptor and artist who we all know by name of Michelangelo, yeah. out of that very marble, carves the famous statue of David, David that still stands in Florence. I had an amazing opportunity to see it. It's actually standing in the open space. It is open to all elements, right? So, and it stands. And so when Michelangelo is asked by his contemporaries, how could he possibly carve gorgeous David out of faulty marble? He says, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. And so my message is, every day we're just freeing the angel inside. Some days the marble is a little harder to work with, but it's so worth it. It's just so worth it. Mm, that just literally brought tears to my eyes. Oh, Victoria, thank you so much for being here. You have just fed my soul today. This has just been so good. So how can people get in touch with you? think where I would love to welcome everybody with most benefit is by taking a free quiz. It's called moneyquiz.me. Mm -hmm. And what it is, it's, it's called what's your money healing mode. And that mm -hmm. quiz will tell you the frequency of the emotion through which you perceive the world and the money. And it'll give you the three laws of money to start your healing journey with money with. So we've created it. It is absolutely free, no strings attached. If you choose to learn more, you can get Prosper Me book or our Empower-Me app, but anything and everything is available on our site, which is you2shine, Y-U-number-2-shine.com. Mm. Victoria, and you guys, everything will be in the show notes. So you can just come on over to empathicmasteryshow.com to grab them if you're listening to this and you're away from a computer or something. Victoria, thank you so much for your generous, generous time and just all of the wisdom that you have dropped today. This has just been so good. Jen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been joyful, fulfilling, and something I will actually listen to. I'll listen to this one. This yeah. One, actually, 42nd podcast this year. I'm going to listen to this one. Very so cool. thank you for the gift. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. 
So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.